But I was like, you know what? I got to make this work. So I ended up spending 15 grand on two credit cards. And it was two because I didn't have one credit card with enough space. So I had to put it on two. Um, without telling my then fiance about nine months before we got married. So even after she didn't want to do any of this stuff, I went and got us into more debt, did the thing she didn't want to do and didn't tell her about it. <laughs> Sounds like a great foundation for a healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast, where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Mike Gore-Hickman here, founder of PainterGrowth.com, and you're listening to another episode of the Painter Growth Podcast. And today, uh, today's a pretty cool episode. Uh, I have a, a good friend and actually one of my uh, personal business coaches, uh, Tom Sylvester, uh, with us today. Tom, how you doing? Doing good, man. How you doing? I am doing wonderful. Uh, super stoked for this conversation. So Tom has had uh, his own success in business in, in several different avenues, um, but he's also founder of uh, what's called the Lifestyle Builders Movement, and he's actually co-authored a book with his wife, Ariana, called Lifestyle Builders. And Tom, you've done a lot of work around, like work on yourself, work on your relationships. Um, just tell me a little bit about that. How did you get into that? And like, I'm, I'm sure things weren't always this way. Like what, what kind of happened that made you realize that you needed to focus on working on improving your relationships? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what's interesting in uh, painters have a special uh, spot in my heart because in high school and college, I actually had a tough family life. I ended up having my own apartment and I was doing uh, painting houses to get through high school and college and basically pay for my rent. Um, so I did that for a handful of years. And actually, as I was getting ready to graduate college, I realized that my wife and I, she was my girlfriend at the time, we had a ton of debt. Uh, neither of us had jobs. And I started looking forward and I was like, I have a degree in uh, computer science, but I didn't want to sit in the cubicle for the next 45 years. So I was like, crap, what are we going to do? And so thankfully, I had uh, a friend give me a book called The Automatic Millionaire. And that helped me to realize that, oh, I could become a millionaire with some good financial habits, such as investing and compound interest. But I was like, I don't want to wait till I'm 65. And then I had another friend give me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is like, oh, you know, uh, build assets, reduce liabilities, and you can create wealth. And I was like, well, what if I like combine these two things? Do you think I could do it faster? And so I set a goal to retire, quote unquote, by 35. My girlfriend was then like, we're in debt. We don't have jobs. Go get a job and forget this retirement stuff. So it really all started with me wanting like this different life than we had planned and her being like, no, get a job. Like we're on the traditional path. Mm -hmm. So that was obviously like a, a crossroads where you didn't really see eye to eye on that. And I can totally resonate. I mean, um, you know, relate to that, but, uh, what, what did you, how did you navigate that having a different kind of life plan as your girlfriend at the time? Yeah, well, uh, not really good. So I'll tell you how I did it. And then I would tell you what I would recommend for most people. Uh, so for me, I was just hard headed. I kept going out and trying to start a business or invest in the stock market or invest in real estate, any way I could think about to make this thing happen. And so every time I would try to do that, she would come back and say, no, she wasn't comfortable with it. Uh, she, she thought it was a lot of risk. And so I was leaving work one day listening to like the radio and I heard this ad and it said, hey, are you um, 
you know, sick of your job. And I'm like, yes. They're like, do you want to build wealth? I'm like, yes. They're like, come to this free seminar. I'm like, yes. So I go to this like two hour weekend seminar. And if anyone has heard of this, uh, you kind of know where this is going. If you haven't, hopefully I'm going to save you a lot of money. So I go to this two hour seminar. They pump you up about real estate investing and then say, hey, come to our three day seminar. So I went to the three day seminar. They pump you up a little more, give you a little bit of information. And then they're like, come to our big seminar. It's 15 grand or whatever. And I'm like, I don't have any money. At this point, I had like hundreds of thousands in debt. But I was like, you know what? I got to make this work. So I ended up spending 15 grand on two credit cards. And it was two because I didn't have one credit card with enough space. So I had to put it on two. Um, without telling my then fiance about nine months before we got married. So even after she didn't want to do any of this stuff, I went and got us into more debt, did the things she didn't want to do, and didn't tell her about it. <laughs> Sounds like a great foundation for a healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Um, but here's the beautiful thing. When you do something like that, it forces you to get real and have real conversations. And I'm a firm believer that things happen for you, not to you. And that was actually one of the best things that happened to us. Because what ended up happening was we had to talk about like, hey, we're about to get married. We're about to dedicate our lives together. What does that really mean? What do we really want? And is that the right move? So we started having a lot of conversations about why did I want to start this business so bad? Why did I want to retire young? And what we found was that we were actually aligned on what we wanted our lives to look like. The difference was how we thought we were going to get there. So my wife was thinking we both have jobs. We work till 65 and we kind of do the traditional path. I was looking at it as I want to do this different path. So what we then did was said, Here's where we want to be. Here's how we align on the path. And here's the role we each play. And once we did that, it allowed me to do the entrepreneurial things. It allowed her to have the job and the things that she wanted. And then ultimately allowed us to achieve that goal actually three years early. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack as a fast forward of the, the last half of the, <laughs> the story. And, and let's dive into that a bit more. So you, you invest $15,000 into this real estate summit thing with the hopes that this $15,000 would give you financial freedom, you know, whatever that means at the time. What, like what happened next? Yeah. Uh, well, so for me, I went to the first training. I was super excited. I was all in and ready to go. And then the training really let me down. And what I realized was that this company didn't actually care about the people that it was training. It was just going to every city and getting people in and then Really, even at the first training, they tried to get me to buy the next training. So I'm a huge proponent of education. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my own, on coaches, um, but this company wasn't the right one. So I made the decision. I said, well, it's better for me to just go and start investing in real estate and do the thing versus trying to take more training. So that's what I did. I went, found a duplex, ended up uh, scrapping money together to barely make that work. Um, but from that first duplex, I got in, I renovated it, got rent coming in and then said, well, if I do this again, do this again, I figured out how many times I would need to do it to replace our income so I could leave my job. So then it was the point of like, let me just continue doing this. And one thing I realized, which was similar to like when I was painting, you know, you can get in and do all the work. But really, if you want to have a business, you need to be working on it and not in it. And I realized there was a whole bunch of things I didn't like to do, like renovating the properties and doing drywall and all of that. So the question I started asking myself is like, what needs to be true for this business to run without me? 
And that question, I didn't realize the power at the time, helped me to think about what do I need to have in place so that this business can run and I can be stepped away so I can either work more on growing it or go do something else. And so that's what I did. Every time I would buy a new property, I would take a couple of the tasks that I was doing and I would hire somebody else to do them. And I eventually got to the point where people were doing all the stuff in the business. So I was free to continue to grow it. And then I ended up starting a couple other businesses just to help me get there faster. Yeah, that's a really powerful phrase. Um, what needs to be true for X to happen, right? And and you've you've said that to me several times uh, throughout our you know relationship when we're when we're masterminding different aspects of the business that maybe I'm struggling with or could be better. Like what needs to be true for this to happen? And and in your case, right there, it's like you needed to save your time, and you basically found the people, set up the system, so that you didn't have to do you know all the working in it, and you could focus more on the higher the higher leverage kind of bigger picture things within your portfolio. Yep, exactly. So backing up just a touch, how did you tell Ariana that you spent $15,000 on what turned out to be a scam? Yeah, well, uh, first I had to tell her that uh, I spent the money on the card, which she was furious about. Um, and, and, and that was tough, right? And after the tears came out, uh, we had a lot of long conversations and really her big thing was like, why, why would you do this? Why would you put us at risk? And so, you know, through a lot of tears, through a lot of questioning, um, that was what we, we realized we actually had the same outcome. It was just a different path. So it was a lot of conversations and from there, it then led to, okay, now that we realize we're aligned, what do we got to do from here? And I realized the first thing I have to do is like, go actually invest in real estate, go do the thing so that I could get money to pay that money back. Because at that point we were like tapped out. We had no money, no credit. And it was like, I got to make this work. So that's why I stopped with the training. And I was like, let me just go and start this. So from there, we had a plan mapped out. And then what that evolved into over time, which is what we share with people today, is we actually do planning together. And so what we did was we got a bunch of sticky notes, right? Everyone's got these cheap post-it notes around. So we got these and we started writing out. We're like, what do we want our lives to look like? And so we would write things down and then we started putting them up on the wall and hers were one color and mine were another. And as we put this up there, we started to get clear on like, oh, we both want like a nicer house. Oh, we both want this thing. So we started to align on what we wanted and maybe what was unique to each of us. So we could see that like, 80% of the stuff was aligned. And then there was some stuff that maybe I just wanted. So once we knew all those things, the second thing we did was said, well, what's the priority? When are we trying to do these things? And for example, she wanted to get a new house like pretty quick. I wanted to get the businesses going so I could retire. So I had that pushed out. So by getting all of this stuff up on the wall, we started to then say, this is the general order. And then we started to put our ages above it. So we said, like, for example, when do we want to have kids? What ages is that? And as we had all of this laid out for the next several years, we could then come back and start saying, okay, and how much money do we need to make all of this happen in our lives? And by getting that clarity, then it was so much easier to say, okay, well, if you're going to work a job, here's what you're going to contribute. If I'm going to work a job and build this business, here's what I'm going to contribute. And then we basically had a plan that we could just work on that would get us to our goals, but keep us aligned along the way. Mm -hmm. So what did you notice in terms of like your relationship once you did get aligned? Actually, before I ask that question, what were like the various aspects that you had to get aligned on? You kind of touched on them, but like, let's just like, let's just categorize them. So 
Um, so one that you said was like your, your house, your living situation. So aligning on your current living situation and your goal living situation. What else did you have to get aligned on? Yeah. Well, what was interesting and I started to see this pattern when we did it. And then as I started just working with other people and other couples, I saw the same pattern emerge. So when I ask people like what their goals are, what they want, I found that they fall into four categories. So the first category is like things. This is like uh, money, what we can buy. So this is where your house, your car, um, you know, nice set of golf clubs, whatever it is that you want. This is where those fall into. And for most of us, when we start out our journey, that's what we're worried about. Then we get into experiences, which is often what we buy with our time. This might be traveling to different places. Um, this might be like how we're spending it or, or what we're doing with our time and having that freedom. So most people start with those two things. And that was us as well. It was like, you know, making sure that we had a good house, making sure that we had good cars, uh, making sure that we had time to spend with our kids when we had them. So those were the first two categories. And then I find this interesting thing happens. We start touching on other stuff, but it's not until we take care of those first two categories that we really get clear on what really makes us happy. Because for most of us, it's not about the house we have, or it's not about the trip we took. Those are all great. It comes down to these last two categories, which is the relationships that we have. For example, relationship with my wife, relationship with my kids. And then the final one is the impact. What am I doing to give back and to contribute and to make things better around me? So I find when just about everyone does this, those are the four categories. And it's like, what's important to you within there? And once you have that, then you can say, how do I start doing some of this now, even though I might not be at a point where I can do all of it yet? It's almost like the the Maslow's hierarchy, right? So you have your shelter taken care of, you have your, um, you know, your experiences, your, you know, your travel schedule, if you want to call it that figured out. And then once like, you're kind of satisfied on the financial side of things, now you can start focusing on this higher, higher leverage, like your relationships and and the impact that you're creating. Exactly. And in like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or any of the other models that you see out there, What's key with all of them is that there's these underlying principles, right? And if we understand the underlying principles, we can then apply those to our life in a way that makes sense. So the challenge mm -hmm. most of us have is that either from our parents or our friends or how we were raised, we think things have to be a certain way. But if we understand like Maslow's hierarchy and we say, what is our need for safety or what is our need for connection? We can then go through and build the life the way that we want it, not necessarily the way that somebody else might or our parents might. Mm -hmm. So what I mean, I want to go into like some strategies of each of those, you know, as we kind of go through them. But before that, once you did get clear um, with your, you know, your with, I'm just going to say Ariana, because I don't know if she's girlfriend, fiance or, or wife at whatever time we're talking about. Um, so once you did get kind of aligned on these aspects with Ariana, like how did that impact things in your business? Yeah. Well, first off, it made things a lot easier because I didn't feel like I had to either hide things or um, like I was doing something like um, that just I cared about. So for a long time, it felt like she didn't care about our future and it felt like I did. And it was like I was the only one worried about that. But once we got aligned, it was like, no, this is my role. This is your role. And I felt like I actually had support. So that went a long way. Um, but the second thing there was once we got clear on each of our roles, then what we could do is to say, okay, 
you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing. And then let's check in along the way and see how we're progressing and how we shift. So it helped a lot in our relationship just to know that we were aligned and we were both working towards this common outcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, you know, that's nice, a nice feeling knowing that you're rowing in the same direction as your spouse. <laughs> Definitely. Right? I'll a, tell you, it's a lot easier when things are rolling in the same direction. <laughs> right. Right. Like, um, you know, I remember early on in my entrepreneurial career, um, I was looking at this, you know, I was wanting to really get started and I was looking at this one training program and it was like, it was like $2,000. And at the time, I think I was working for like, I was working for like 20 or 22 bucks an hour. Right. And so to, to spend, you know, two grand on something that was completely like, I, you know, it was, it was a buying an online thing. Like it was a, it was a big discussion at the time. Right. But, uh, I mean, I, luckily my, my wife is very supportive of, of what I do. So eventually I got her on board, but like, if I know there's a lot of people who, who aren't that lucky to have, you know, supportive spouses. So, yeah, well, and yeah. I think you bring up a really good point there. And I think what most of us do wrong, and I will speak definitely more towards men, but we tend to like, push for what we want versus stop and inquire about like what our spouse is maybe um, resistant to. So I know for a long time, I kept going like, I want to retire young. I want this. I want this. And I kept pushing. And if I had just stepped back and said, hey, what do you want? And what concerns you about this? Things would have been a lot easier. So I think that's a huge lesson for all of us is like, when you feel some resistance, don't just like keep pushing through, take a step back and be like, Hey, why is there resistance here? And what would it look like if there wasn't resistance? Right. And that just helps so much more than just pushing, pushing, pushing. I mean, it's, it's standard sales framework, right? If you start getting objections from a client, you're not going to keep pushing the clothes and pushing the clothes. Like no sign right now, sign right now. That's not going to be a good outcome, but you need to step back you know, figure out what those objections are, understand their reasoning behind it. I mean, it's the exact like humans are humans and your spouse is going to, you know, operate with a similar mindset, right? It's m largely self-serving or, uh, or with the, you know, the family in mind. But if what you're trying to push is not like clear to them, what the benefit is to the family, then that's going to be, it's going to be a tough sell. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, um, there's a really good, so like I said, my background was in computer science. So it was like the furthest thing from sales. But I actually got really good at sales, not because I knew what I was doing, but because I just kind of figured things out. And at one point, I had a sales coach that said, well, Tom, I want you to read this book called To Sell as Human. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. And so I read it. And to your point, we sell all the time. Right. So like if you have kids, you're selling your kids on like why they should eat broccoli or why they should go to bed. You know, if you have a spouse, you're selling them on that. If you have friends or if you're in business, you're selling uh, people on why they should come and work with you. You're selling customers on why they should work with you. So sales and the underlying principles apply not just to business, but to every relationship that we have. Mm -hmm. So let's look, let's dig into those four categories a little bit. So number one is experiences, right? Well, no, sorry. Number one was things. Right. So can you just like uh, break that down a little bit more and and yeah, just just define that a little bit more. The first category being things. Yeah. So if we think about it and, and especially when I was young, uh, I had more time than money and I was in a whole bunch of debt. So my core focus and I think most of our focuses early on are like, how do I how do I get into a financial spot that's better than I am now? 
right? So we spend a lot of time and effort on that. And that was my whole goal of like retiring. It was like, what can I do to increase my income, reduce my expenses and reduce my debt so that I can then be set up for success. And so a lot of it, I think for people is things like houses and the, the other things that we value. And I think there's a, like when it comes to money, people have different opinions, but here, here's my thought on things. We need to do the things that take care of us and provide that safety. But then all of us are going to have like our thing. So for example, I could care less about cars, but I do enjoy health and, you know, making sure my house kind of has all those things. So I spend a lot more money on, for example, we, we built a home theater in our house. Some people are like, that's ridiculous. But I then go around wearing black t-shirts all day because I don't care about clothing. So I think for each of us, it's important to say, what are the couple of things you want to spend money on and spend in those areas? But in the other areas, cut back and don't spend because that's how we can then use that money to invest, uh, to save, and ultimately to build our wealth. So I think when it comes to the money category and the things, it's getting really clear on what you want, working towards that, but make sure that you're always working to build assets that will give you more money and allow you more freedom that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the whole concept behind Rich Dad Poor Dad is to like what minimize your burn rate and <laughs> and be a better saver, right? And spend on the things that really matter to you and cut back on the things that don't matter to you. Yeah. And, and what I loved about Rich Dad Poor Dad, like what was huge for me was, you know, how he reframed assets and liabilities. So a lot of people will tell you that your house is an asset. And technically it is from the bank's perspective, but how he reframed it was game changing for me. He said, assets put money in your pocket, liabilities take things out. And so what I then started to do was to say, how do I build assets? And then what he talks about with cash flow is then use your assets to pay for your liabilities. So what most of us do and why we get stuck is that let's say we get a job or we start a business, but we use the money from our paycheck to buy the things that we want. And then we just are stuck in this cycle of having to work to buy the things. What's beautiful about being a business owner is that you actually get to set it up so that you're investing into the business and into the team. And then it's that money that's coming out as the business owner that you can do to buy your liabilities. And then that is ultimately how you build wealth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once you're in that position where you've handled the first category, and then we get into the second category, the experiences. I don't know if they're like they're like a ones above each other, but like let's say experiences just above things. So um, dive into that just a little bit. Yeah. Well, so first off, before we even get to that, what I always like to tell people to do is whatever you put in these categories, before you spend like years working towards them, go and test it out and see if you're going to get the real satisfaction. So for example, if you are a car guy, go and rent the car that you want for a week. And you'll know if it's like, yeah, I want to save up all this money and own that car. Or did you get the experience just from having it for a week? And then you're like, it's not worth it to spend it there. So whatever you think you want, give yourself a test to see if it really is. And then if it is, you're going to be more motivated to do it. If not, you're going to be able to then say, okay, what is it that I really want? So what I find is that we spend a bunch of time and we build up our money. Right. And then what ends up happening and what happened to me was that I was starting to make money, but I had no time left. I was working a full time job. I was actually going back to grad school at the time. Um, I was working on our real estate business nights and weekends. Uh, my wife got pregnant with our first daughter and then I was opening my second business. So I literally had no time left. But what I realized was that because I now have money, 
I can use money to buy my time back. So that was like with the real estate business, I started hiring people to do demo, to do drywall, to do paint, et cetera. So mm -hmm. what I find in that second category is now once we have some money coming in, what can we then buy back with our time? And then that time creates more freedom to be able to do things like uh, go to family functions, go on trips together, um, spend it how we want, not have to be working all the time. So this is actually a really uh, a, a tough spot for a lot of small business owners. And we do have a lot of small business owners who listen to this podcast. We're kind of just getting started. But, you know, say they're they're running their business. They're, you know, working all the time. Maybe they have a painter or two working with them. But they start seeing the paychecks coming in. You know, at the end of the month, they're seeing that, oh, they're making 10K in a month, 12K in a month to to consciously make that decision to take a take a step back away from that big paycheck and and hire some of that work out and temporarily make less money even though you're buying your time back it can be a struggle to want to do that yeah absolutely so there's a couple ways i like to look at this one uh if you're a business owner you want to think about the way you make money in two different ways so you're going to make money one for the task that you're doing you're basically an employee of your business right the second way you make money is by owning the business and the profit the business makes. So I think by looking at it this way, what we can start to do is say, I'm getting paid this much for the different roles that I do. And then I make extra money when the business is profitable and I get some of the money as profit. Then what I like to look at is, yeah, when I start to get that money coming in, I want to hold on to it. I don't want to like give it away. But I found that there's a lot of things that a, we either don't like to do or B, doesn't really make us that much money and is getting in the way of making more money in other ways. So I'll give an example. When I was actually renovating properties that we had, I didn't make a lot of money when I was doing demo work. Like I might make $10 an hour or whatever demo work was worth. But if I was going out and finding a new property and I could buy that property at the right point, my hourly rate on that might be a thousand dollars. So every hour I was spending demoing meant that that was an hour that I wasn't making a thousand dollars by going out and finding new property. So when you understand that concept, you want to start looking at what are the things that I hate doing and what are the things that I can take some of this profit that I'm making and pay somebody else so I get my time back. So at mm -hmm. the beginning, it's going to be one task that you don't like doing and things that don't cost a lot. And then when you get into that mindset and you understand it, you can then keep doing that more and more. And you're still making money for the job you're doing. But if you're building your business right, you're also making more profit. So overall, you're getting more money with less time. Yeah, we have the we have actually that exact same uh, thought process as a priority management exercise um, in our training, where at the start, like you start by looking at all of the things that you're doing what 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 are you doing in the day like what's taking up all your time what don't you like doing what could be done for 15 bucks an hour piece out the things that you don't want to do or take up too much time create a job description of that and then you know start hiring that out and then at the same time looking at the various levels of tasks that you can be doing right painting 50 dollars an hour activity sales 500 dollars an hour activity recruiting five thousand dollar an hour activity right creating a strategic marketing plan fifty thousand dollar an activity right can be um, hugely valuable depending on what you're doing. But if you're stuck painting, you're stuck on the brush all day, you're only ever going to be making, you know, 50 bucks an hour, more or less. 
Yeah, and I've got a great story there. So actually, when I was painting and when I was stuck on the brush, we were painting um, these like million dollar houses. Like they were absolutely beautiful. And so here I am with my buddy. We're making, I don't know, 15 bucks an hour, like under the table. And I remember we're at this one house and there's like a gardener that comes up and does landscaping. And there's like someone else that comes up and cleans the house. And then there's like a chef that comes and like cooks. And I remember the guy I'm sitting next to, we're both, you know, on the brushes and he's like, man, this guy is so lazy. He like has everyone else do his stuff. And I just remember reacting. I, I'm looking, I'm like, no, I think this guy's super smart. He makes however much money an hour being a doctor and he could come home and then do these like lower level tasks that he probably doesn't enjoy doing, or he can focus more on being the doctor and making more money, paying people to do the things he doesn't want to do and then have more free time. So that clicked for me like super young. But I talk to a lot of people now that have a, a mindset issue or a challenge around what it means if they're like paying somebody else. So I think it's just important to come back and realize that if you have something that you're good at and you enjoy doing, you're actually robbing yourself and others if you're doing other stuff that you're not as good at or you don't enjoy. So just realize the best thing you can do is to sit in your zone of genius, surround yourself with people that their zone of genius is what isn't yours, and then spend your time, whether it's in the business or out of the business, on the most important things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, even around around my house, like I I hate grocery shopping with a passion. I would rather peel my fingernails off than go grocery shopping. My wife loves it. She loves doing, walking up and down the aisles and doing that. And that's totally great. Good for her. But like, we know this, we understand this. And because of that, I go to, a, I do, I go to Costco once a quarter, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And that's just to get a hot dog. <laughs> um, and you know, there's, there's other things too, like in, in my business, if I find myself working to, you know, say I'm editing a video for like two hours, I'm like, what the heck am I editing a video for? I can get like a professional do this for like 30 bucks an hour or 40 bucks an hour, or whatever, like, this is not, this is not a good use of my time. And then you create a system and you, you delegate, it. you find someone better than you, who can do it quicker than you for way less time than you. So um, once you kind of figure out what you want to do with your time, um, and you're happy with what you're doing, you're focusing on what makes you happy. Now you have a chance to really focus on your relationships that you have. So yeah. what what are the things that you do on an ongoing basis? Cause I know you're a big systems guy and you have some pretty cool like systems and, you know, even worksheets to manage your relationships, which it would be mind blowing for most people. Like most people don't manage their personal relationships with worksheets. <laughs> um, how do you manage your relationship now with your wife and, and your kids? Yeah. Well, so, um, the first thing I think is just really being clear on like, who are the most important, who are the most important people in your life? And, do a check-in on where the relationships are and where you want them to be. So for example, with my wife, um, every weekend we do what we call coffee and chai. So we spend an hour or two, we sit on the porch and we just sit and chat and we catch up on things. And sometimes it's like tactical stuff on like what happened this week and what's going on. Sometimes no phones, it's right? bigger no picture phones. activities. What's that? I'm, I'm imagining no phones during this chat. No phones during this chat. Absolutely. <laughs> and so sometimes it'll just be open and like free form. Sometimes we'll have specific activities. Um, so for example, a couple of weeks ago, if, uh, if anyone has heard of the wheel of life activity, it's basically looking at different categories of life. It might be, um, your, uh, relationship, your health, your finances, uh, your happiness. So we went through and did a bunch of categories. We each rated, and then we shared. 
And it was just a really good way to connect, to realign, and then to really talk about like, hey, the things that maybe aren't a 10, what can we do to get them there? So that's a huge thing with my wife and I. Um, with my kids, which are the next most important for me, uh, we every single month we do uh, a family night together, and then we also do something individually with the kids. So for a while, we were taking Fridays off and doing Friday family field trips. When I didn't have to be working all the time anymore, what we could start doing is spending that time together with the relationships. So we would just take a day, everyone else is working, we would go to Chuck E. Cheese or we'd go to uh, you know, an amusement park. And because everyone else is working, we actually had this like VIP experience. Um, this last year, my daughter and I did a daddy-daughter trip to Myrtle Beach. So we took a week, just my daughter and I, she was getting ready to go to middle school and just spent time connecting, exploring. So a big thing that we like to do is make sure that we've got family time together. We've got individual time with ourselves, but then we also have time with our kids so that we are intentional with those relationships. So like one-on-one -on -one time with, you have two kids, right? Two kids, yep. So one-on-one -on -one time with each kid and then we'll switch it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I can see if like someone is stuck in the grind and they're working 60 hours a week, it can be, you know, you're hearing these things like, oh, you need to spend time together. You need to spend time one on one. You need your own time. Like it can feel like, you know, almost like unattainable for someone who's just like completely drowning in their business. Absolutely. So there's a couple things here. Um, and this one, I wish I would have learned way earlier in life, but it wasn't until recently. Um, replacing the word need or have to with the word get to. So for example, in, in an example I used uh, in a keynote I did recently, a lot of people will say like, I have to go get my kids off the bus. And it makes it sound like this obligation. It makes it sound like this thing we don't like to do. But I will tell you, I love to get my kids off the bus. So starting to change the words to like, I get to get my kids off the bus. And just that word change makes a huge difference because it's like, I have kids. I have the freedom to get them off the bus. And I get to do that. I realize that not everyone has that same luxury, right? Some people are working. I, there was a couple of years where I was a traveling consultant and I would fly out on Monday morning and I would get back on Thursday night and I literally couldn't get my kids off the bus. So I find that one, looking at our language helps a ton. But two, the second thing that I used to think was like, it had to be a lot of time. And so especially when things were busy, it maybe wasn't like the most time, like it wasn't we spent a week in Myrtle Beach, but we were intentional and we prioritized that time first. So like when my wife and I will sit down for the month, the first thing we say is, what time are you blocking off for you and what am I blocking off for me? So my wife likes to sing. So Tuesday nights, she's in a chorus concert. I'm always watching the kids and making sure she has that space. I like to go out and golf. So I make sure I block out my golf time and then she's covering the kids. Then we say, we're going to do at least one date night. Which night are we doing a date and who do we got to cover the kids? And for a long time, our date nights were at home in that home theater I talked about because it was hard to get out. So I find that with most of this stuff, the key is to be intentional and start, even if it's a little bit of time. And then over time, as you start building up more money, be intentional to buy the time back so that you can spend more in these experiences and with these relationships. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And it's it's like it's bringing some business concepts and business fundamentals into your family life like being intentional essentially you're block scheduling family priorities right yep. you're you're block scheduling time with your wife you're block scheduling time with your kids you're block scheduling time for yourself and um but but none of this would be possible if 
if you and your wife didn't have open communication and a shared vision for the family? Absolutely. And, and to your point, and we've touched on this a couple of times already in this conversation, there's underlying principles to all this stuff. And the same principles that work in business often also work in your personal life. So I think so much of like the success I've had is that sometimes intentionally, sometimes by accident, I would figure out a principle that would work and I would just start applying it everywhere. And then like later on, I would be like, oh, that's why that worked. But once you find those things that work, they will usually work in different contexts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, when you're saying the business systems or the business concepts in, in family life, that just reminded me of this this uh, quick little story. My my daughter, she was about three, three and a half at the time. And um, in my truck, I keep these like uh, these like lifesaver candy mints. My grandpa always used to keep them in his truck, so I just kind of do as a as a as a memory for him. Um, but they're like, they're like fruit flavored lifesaver things. I don't know if you've seen them in like the green plastic you know, mm -hmm. tin or whatever. So, um, one day my daughter like comes up to me and she says, daddy, come here. Daddy, your breath stinks. We should take the truck. <laughs> Cause she knew that if she took the truck, she'd have a chance of getting one of those candies. <laughs> and that was like two levels of, of separation down on her sales mindset. I'm like, oh man. We're in trouble. <laughs> well, and, and then just another small thing with that. So, um, you know, my wife and I ended up writing a book together afterwards. And what was super cool was you can tell already that like we have completely different mindsets on things. And so what was cool was we had all these people that, you know, fast forwarding, like once we were tired, once we had the kids and everyone saw that we had this like relationship, everyone was like asking like how we did it. And so it was super cool to write this book together because we would write about like, for example, we wrote about the time when I spent that money on the credit card and didn't tell her. So I started out the chapter writing it from my perspective and then it would flip and she would write it from her perspective. So what's cool is that you got to see both perspectives on these key moments. And then we worked through some tactics of how do you then use this to get clear on what you want, get your finances in order, get your business systematized, whatever aspect that is. So mm -hmm. the reason I bring all this up is that you were talking about like the templates. We have templates for like everything. So one of our core templates is we call it the life planner. And it has those four things that we talked about, you know, the, uh, the things, the experiences, the relationships and the impact. But we also go into like, what's our family vision? What are our family core values? What are some of the traditions that you had as a kid that you maybe want to instill with your kids? So your story just reminded me of that, right? We have these things that we want to do. So in business, we'll talk about like core values in the culture we create. We do the same thing in our family life. We're like, what are our family's core values and what kind of culture do we want to have? So there's a lot of really cool things that we've put into the book and into some of these templates to guide others to say, all right, I don't even know where to start. How would I start this with my family? We have templates for all of this in the book, like walks through how to do that. Very cool. So as an example, like what is, what is your family vision? Yeah. So our family vision is to raise safe, strong, happy members of our family. So that starts with my wife and I which is like why we invest into therapy and uh, relationship retreats and all of our time together. Uh, it's also why we spend a lot of time with our kids, helping them to understand like what is the world looking like and what kind of skills and you know mindsets can you have as a kid that will help you as an adult. So at the end of the day, we're like, if we're safe and secure, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, if we're happy, 
And ultimately, if we're strong and able to get through whatever life throws at us, like that's our vision. And then, and then what are your core values? Yep. So our core values are, you know, we focus on our self first, but we can also take care of others. Um, we focus on, uh, working with other people and not seeing other people as competition or wrong, even if they have different values. Um, we have a couple more that we list out and, and they tend to change a little bit as our kids get mm -hmm. older, but a lot of it comes back to, um, what we care about. And then what's been cool is we've included the kids in this process. So when we first started out, there was a certain set of values that my wife and I wanted to instill with them. And then what we do as a family is every year we get together and just like in business, we do like annual planning. We do the same thing as a family. So we actually created a um, three-year vivid vision as a family like three years ago. And it was cool. We talked about the things we wanted, which is like we bought our dream house last year. That was on our family vision board. Uh, we talked about the trips and the experiences that we wanted to have. Those all came through because they were on our vision board. So we take a lot of these things in business, apply it to family, and it really just guides our life. What type of impact has having a vision and core values made to the decision-making that you guys make on a daily basis? Uh, immense. And, and the reason for that is we all make so many decisions a day. And having a vision and some core values basically help you to have filters to make some decisions super easy. So for example, and you know, a lot of people do this, but I have just a closet of black t-shirts. It's one less decision I have to make a day for something that doesn't matter to me. But when it comes back to our vision and our core values, every decision that comes up, we just run it by. It's like, is this going to get us closer to or further from our vision? If it's going to get closer, then we look at, do we have the means to do it? And what's it going to take to get there? So it just helps to make those decisions. Because if you think back when my wife and I weren't aligned, the decision of like, do we buy this property or do we invest in this business or whatever else? It was a huge thing. But if we're aligned on what we want and the roles we play, then it's like, as long as it aligns to it and it falls within our core values, sure, let's go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So... You mentioned you mentioned therapy. I have a couple of questions that I've thought about since you since that last little bit. But like you mentioned therapy, what role has has therapy played in, and what type of therapy are we talking about in your your kind of uh, family dynamic? Yeah, so um, it's funny. I there's like such a stigma around therapy and people think you only go to therapy like if things are really bad or if it's broken or I don't need therapy. And I never really had a lot of that. But you know, we got to a point where my wife and I had several businesses. We now had a couple of kids. We're trying to figure things out and it just started getting tough. Like we're like, okay, things started out with love and love worked, but now like life is really throwing a lot of challenges at us. And we didn't like the way that we were showing up for each other. So we started marriage therapy. And I remember the first session we had with our therapist, she said, you know, you guys are doing this right. She goes, so many people only come to marriage therapy is like the last step before a divorce. They let everything get so bad for so long. She's like, you have a great relationship. Yes, there's some things to work on, but you're taking it now when it's easy to repair and shift versus like waiting years. And so we started with marriage therapy. We've been doing that for like four or five years. That then got into individual therapy as we realized we each had trauma and challenges from our past. Um, and then that led to um, other types of support. So uh, couples retreats and mindset camps. Uh, my wife is currently going through an emotional intelligence training to help her work through stuff. So 
the thing that I realized is whether it's therapy or a coach or someone else, the more that we have going on, like being parents, uh, being in a relationship, having businesses, the more support we all need. And that was one thing I didn't realize until I started getting around other successful people. They have a ton of support, right? So it's like, to your point, you know, you might have somebody that comes in, uh, helps you with the housework, or you might use Instacart because you're not going to go and do the groceries. So what I didn't realize was that the, the more successful you are, the more these challenges come up and having coaches, therapists, training programs, whatever to help you to work through that stuff is going to benefit everyone around you. Mm -hmm. That's like the whole concept of there are no self-made millionaires. Right? Everyone did it with support. And, you know, like me running my business where it currently is, like I couldn't imagine running it without multiple coaches, you know, in various aspects of the company. And, and a great team, right? But people need that and they don't realize that they need therapy or they need coaches at you know every step of the way because it, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, and, and the one thing I realized too was that like we can all benefit from having an outside perspective and especially somebody that's really good at what they do and helping us work through challenges. Like my whole thing now is like when I face a challenge, first off, I'm like, has somebody else solved this before? If so, who is really good at solving this and how do I go and get close to them so that they can help me solve it? And I don't have to figure it out on my own. And so sometimes that's a therapist. Sometimes I've got some trauma from my childhood that I could hold on to or try to work through on my own for years, or I could pay somebody that that's an expert and has done this to help me work through it. And what I realize is the more that I work on myself and the more that I grow and, you know, I'm just happy and at peace with everything the better I show up as a leader for my business, my family, et cetera. So I think therapy, coaching, all of that helps us grow and then benefits everyone around us. So, I mean, these are, these are great concepts. And the whole purpose of this podcast is to give like actionable tips for, for people who are listening. So um, talking about coaching and talking about therapy can feel like just a, a really big step for people. What would you say could be like the first step that someone could take who maybe doesn't have the most supportive spouse? Yeah. Maybe they're um, resentful of their business because they're working so much. Yeah. So there's a couple things I recommend here. One, um, whatever they're resentful for, go and do the opposite and just pour into them. So I found for a while, like if she was resentful for the business, I would actually like lean into the business more and I would almost get resentful of her from resenting the business. Um, a lot of that was like ego and whatever else. So first thing I find is like, Cut all of that out. And for example, let's say your spouse uh, really loves to dance, but you guys never dance because you're always working in the business. Carve out some time, set a date, and go dance. Starting out with that is going to, one, make them super happy, but two, show them that like we can have both. Once the relationship's a little bit better that way, then start creating space and just exploring. Like, What do they want? What are their biggest dreams? What do they want to do that they haven't done? And the more that you can understand what they want, the more you can then tie that into what you want and start creating this aligned vision. And from there, now you can just start saying, okay, what's the next step? What's in the way? What do we need to do for that? And then everything else opens up. So what would be the, if you were to sit down with your spouse, if you weren't sure what they really wanted or like what was important to them, and you're planning on, okay, when I get, I'm listening to this podcast, when I get home from work tonight, I'm going to sit down with my spouse and we're going to like have a conversation and get on the same page. 
how would you, what would be your, your perfect agenda or just even a recommended agenda for that, that first meeting? Yeah. So I like to, to focus on the spouse and I like to go in and basically just say, Hey, I feel like, you know, things have gotten so busy with us. You know, I've been working the job or the business. Um, you know, the kids are taking time and I feel like, you know, we're just kind of drifting apart and we haven't made as much time. I feel like I don't know you as well anymore. So I was wondering if we could just carve out some space and just kind of check in, catch up. Now you've got to understand your spouse and where things are at and frame this your way. But what I always find is that if you can start with taking ownership and being a little bit vulnerable, it's going to allow your spouse to do the same thing. So if you say, for example, I realize that I've been spending a lot of time in the business and I haven't been doing these things. One, you're taking ownership. Two, you're being a little bit vulnerable. And then when you set the intention, it's like, I want to spend more time with you. I want to be able to do these things. Now you're opening it up for them to be able to say, oh yeah, that would be great. Like, let's do that. So I always recommend understanding where they're at. But if you take ownership and that's set the intention, then the rest of the conversation tends to flow from there. Yeah, that's that's super important. I think the, the taking ownership part, I, I like to call it like falling on your sword. Yes. Right? <laughs> like um, maybe even like do it, do it way more than you think you need. Like just really take ownership. Like I, it's completely, you know, it's my fault. And yeah. like, like, let's see if we can fix this. And I think that would really do a good job of disarming. Yeah. Um, and um, so there was a training I went through a year ago and how they framed this was they called it a clearing conversation. And whenever you're afraid to do something, lean into that. So like, for example, I, um, during COVID, I realized that I didn't talk to a lot of my friends because I valued in person over the phone call. So I just didn't talk to people. And then I felt really bad. So then I didn't want to like reach out to them because I hadn't talked to them in a long time. So I was like going back and forth on all these things. And my coach was like, Tom, just go and own that. And then set the intention. I'm like, okay, sweet. So I called up my friends. I said, Hey, Mike, I realized we haven't chatted in a very long time. And that's on me my intention going forward is to make sure that we stay connected, even if it's a quick 15 minute phone call once a month. Can you hold me accountable to that? And my friend would be like, Hey, Tom, no worries. Like no problem at all. I know how things are busy. And yes, I can do that. And then it was within like 20 seconds. The thing that I was so worried about was gone. And then we move forward. So we can all do the same thing. We just often overthink it and don't take ownership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We build that, build things up in our minds. Um, so I think it was last year or maybe earlier this year, you told me that you were doing something on that note, just like shifting gears a little bit. Um, you were doing uh, gratitude to like 30 people or something like that. Um, what was that all about? Tell me, just give me, just refresh my memory. It's yeah. Cool. So it started, you know, years ago, somebody told me like, Hey Tom, just, you know, start your day writing two things that you're grateful for. And so I did this for like two days and then I was like, Oh, I'm out of things, which is <laughs> ridiculous. But so um, somebody then brought it up. And one thing I've learned is like, if you start hearing the same thing multiple times, pay attention, like the universe is trying to tell you something. And so I kept hearing this gratitude thing. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this out again. And so I first sat down and I started writing two things I was grateful for a day. And then as I usually am, I'm an overachiever. So I'm like, no, I'm going to write 10 things each day I'm grateful for. So I just started every day writing 10 things I was grateful for. And I was like, one, I'm grateful for a bunch of things. Two, this makes me feel really good. And then I had a coach that was like, well, have you told your friends that you're grateful for them? And I'm like, no. So I think he's like, hey, reach out to five people. So as the overachiever I am, um, Thanksgiving last year, on Thanksgiving Day, I reached out to 40 friends. I just text them and let them know something I was grateful for. And then I put my phone away. 
And I'll tell you, that was the best feeling I ever had. And then we had Thanksgiving. That was great. And I came back and I checked my phone and dude, I was bawling my eyes out because the messages that I received back and how much that small message changed somebody's life blew me away. I had friends that were like, Tom, that's the best thing anyone has ever said to me. Or like, man, I was having a really down day and that turned it around. And so that's when I realized that we often don't realize how grateful we have it. And we often don't let the people around us know how grateful we are for them. So I've incorporated into my day and into my agenda, starting with gratitude and then being very intentional to let people know that I'm grateful for them. Yeah, I think that's that's really powerful and underestimated. Um, like each of us, each human has a lot of power and within the relationships that we have and, and you can use that power for good or for bad or not use it at all. And I think most people just choose not to use it at all. Yeah. And I'll just share a quick story. Um, my family's going through some stuff right now with like illnesses and whatever else. So we were in the thick of it the other day and I said, Hey, let's go and focus out. So I took my kids, we went to the store, we bought a bunch of groceries and then we went around and we started giving it to homeless people that were out around our area. And let me tell you what I thought were our challenges with things suddenly went away. And we all just felt amazing because we were helping people out and realizing how grateful we have it. So I'm a huge proponent of like one, regardless of where you're at now, be grateful for the things you have because there's people that would love to be in your situation. And at the same time, when things are tough, focus outward and focus on that gratitude. You'd be amazed at how much better you feel and how much that comes back. I mean, that's, yeah, that's huge. You know, no matter how bad we have it, like it's, it's all perspective, right? It could be, it could be so much worse. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to wrap up for today, man. This was a this is a great conversation, re good refresher. I'm going to be doing some of this on Thanksgiving now. It's a good timing for this, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need the thing about it is like you don't need to wait till Christmas to send a letter to someone. You don't need to wait till Thanksgiving to tell someone that you're thankful for them. That's the that's something that I learned a few years ago, and I, I started doing a little bit of it. I could definitely do more. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, to your point, I love to use those things as a prompt to do it. But then you realize that I can do this every single day. And if I just think about like, what's one small thing I tell my son every day when I get him on the bus, I'm like, hey, buddy, what's one thing you're going to do today? Or at dinner, we're going to talk about one thing you did to help somebody out. And we realize it might be the smallest thing, but it can change somebody's world. I like that a lot, man. That's huge. Very powerful. Very powerful. Well, thanks, Tom, for coming on. And uh, if if people want to get these worksheets uh, and and check out your book, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is called Lifestyle Builders. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or you can go to lifestylebuildersbook.com. Uh, the links to the worksheets are there. And then if anyone wants to connect with me, I'm at the Tom Sylvester on all platforms. Okay, sweet. We'll put all that stuff in the in the description of the podcast so they can they can check it out and they can they can get those worksheets for free. I think yep, yep. all this for free. Awesome except the physical book you got to pay for. There we go. <laughs> right on, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on, man. And I uh, look forward to doing this again. All right, sweet. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description. Talk soon.